I'm excited to have the opportunity to, uh, to be here in my home church and just to be able to just um, have a conversation with you guys tonight. Tonight, I want to talk about excellence in the shadow of a lion. And it was kind of ironic this morning when uh, Pastor Doug started talking and he said, turn in your Bibles to uh, Daniel chapter 1. I'm like, are you serious, man? Are you kidding me right now? And, um, but he didn't get all the way to chapter 6. And so, I said, I, so, so we're good. And I think this will just be an extension of what he talked about um, this morning. But as I said, excellence in the shadow of a lion. Aristotle said this, excellence is never an accident. It is always the result of high intention, sincere effort, and intelligent execution. It represents the wise choice of many alternatives. Choice, not chance, determines your destiny. We live in a society where excellence is no longer as valued as it once was or is no longer practiced as often in daily living. Sure, excellence might still be seen in the workplace or in corporate America, but what about daily life? Picture this. We go to Walmart. We walk around. We struggle to find anyone to help us find anything in that place. We, uh, we, we will walk and walk and walk. And finally, about 47 minutes later, you might see someone and you're like, hey, hey. And they see you before they can make eye contact. They're out the door. You, you just kind of shake your head and you're thinking, I will never figure out the price on this thing. And then you go and you finally find the item or you finally find the price. But the thing you're looking for is at the very top shelf, you can't reach it because it's pushed all the way to the back. And there's a little sign there that says, please do not climb on the shelves. So you have to track someone else down. And 47 minutes later, again, when you find that person to help you out, he climbs up the shelves to get the item. And you're just thinking, what in the world? So finally, you go to the front to check out. And of course, the cashiers are playing hide and seek. You can't find anyone. You're determined, I am not going to go through the self-checkout line this time. I am going to find someone. You finally get checked out. And you're thinking, I just spent three and a half hours walking aimlessly through Walmart. I've lost 743 calories according to my Fitbit. So now... I get to treat myself and go to Sonic and get a blast. You go to Sonic, you order your blast, your order comes to $2.51, you give the car hop $10 and a penny, the guy looks at you and says, uh, dude, you gave me too much, I don't need this much money, I don't need this penny. He hands you the change back plus the penny that you didn't want. Excellence. Excellence. It's more than a job. Excellence is one of our, our core values here. Excellence, it's more than a job. We at Christ Point seek to honor God who gave his best, the Savior, by maintaining a high standard of excellence in all our ministries and activities. A high school in Ohio announced last week that they're going to remove the valedictorian and the salutatorian honors starting next year to improve students' mental wellness. The competition is destroying their esteem and they're having breakdowns. I can't get on Facebook without seeing Christians and heathens alike having meltdowns every single day. I'm looking for excellence. I'm looking for something different. I'm looking for something unique and something special. But all I see are people, Christians, called Christians, bashing other people. The drive for excellence is becoming less and less. But as Aristotle said, Excellence is a choice. 
So whether or not you're the valedictorian, you're striving to be the valedictorian, never stop striving for excellence regardless of what is happening around you. This is true in our walk with Christ too. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel 6. I'm going to read Daniel 6, 1 through 28. It's a story we all know very well, and I hesitated to preach on this because um, I think it's one of the three most popular Bible stories that you learn in Sunday school. Daniel in the lion's den, Noah in the ark, and David and Goliath. We've heard those stories so many times, but I think there are some things we can, we can grab from this tonight. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom. With three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel, the satraps were, were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we're never going to find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever! The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you. O king, or to the decree you put in writing, he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he, gra he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of the nobles, so that Daniel's situation might, might not be changed. I'm going to fast forward to a little bit. Verse 21, Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions, that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. 
Let's go ahead and stop there. Jesus, I just pray that you just help me communicate tonight. I pray that you just uh, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, and speak to our souls. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Verse 3 said, Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. The King James Version says, Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Excellence is remarkable. And as I read before, I'm going to read it one more time. Excellence is one of our core values. It's more than a job. We at Christ Point Church seek to honor God who gave his best, the Savior, by maintaining a high standard of excellence in all of our ministries and in all of our activities. Daniel so distinguished himself, he was set apart. He was different. He stood above the rest. He was, he was the golden boy. He was the guy that no matter what he did, no matter what he touched, no matter where he was, it was right. He, he, he set himself apart. He did stuff right. He did stuff with excellence. King James says, an excellent spirit. How was, how was this guy different? What was so unique about him? What was so special about him? Well, we can look back a chapter into, into Daniel 5, leading up to Daniel 6, and in Daniel 5, 12, we read this. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, who the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. This Daniel had a sharp mind. This Daniel had prophetic abilities from God. This Daniel had the ability to solve all kinds of difficult problems. Daniel was, was, was a special, special man, and he was exactly where he needed to be at this time. At this point in history, Daniel was exactly where God wanted him to be and exactly where God needed him to be. No different than any person in this room. God is still looking for men and women who will humbly and faithfully represent him in places of influence. God has a place for each of us. There are places in our workplace. There are places in our schools. There are places in our community that God wants us to rise up. He wants us to set in these places and have a place of influence. And I invite you tonight, if you're not taking advantage of that, then seek God and ask him to put you in those kind of places, the same kind of places that God placed Daniel what kind of qualities, what were these exceptional qualities that he possessed? What made him special? We know, according to the, the text, that many decades before the rule of King Darius, Jerusalem had been thumped. They'd been annihilated. They'd been knocked down by Nebuchadnezzar's army. They'd just been blasted. And as a result, Jerusalem experienced the full trauma of war. They, they were... Um, there was destruction everywhere. Their, their greatest treasures had been taken. The capture of their key potential leaders um, had been taken hostage and pulled back to Babylon. And that's where uh, Pastor Doug talked about this morning. He talked about this. And, and many of those, those potential leaders, many of those key young men um, were spoken about in Daniel 1.4. And these were the men that didn't have any kind of physical defect. These were the men that were handsome. They were filled with all kinds of aptitude for every kind of learning. They were well-informed. They were quick to understand and were qualified to serve in the king's palace. They were the best of the best, and Daniel was the best of the best, and he lived his life with excellence. 
I want to talk tonight for just the next few minutes about four ways that Daniel portrayed excellence. The first one is, excellence is finishing what you start. Daniel showed excellence in his responsibilities. Finishing what you start, Daniel showed excellence in his responsibilities. And I want to read verses 1 through 3 one more time. It pleased, Daniel to, or it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might suffer no loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel had a job to do. He had been assigned the responsibility of watching over the kingdom. Darius, once he assumed the tr throne, once he became king, became a very, very, very busy man. His calendar's blowing up. He's checking his watch and his emails every day. He becomes really, really busy and realizes, I've got to find some help. I've got to get some people around me that are going to that are gonna help me out. Um, throughout his conquest, he'd acquired lots of, lots of territories, lots of provinces, lots of people, and he soon realized, I've got to do something. I'm not going to be able to keep up with all these. I'm not going to be able to handle all these countries. I'm not going to be able to handle all these people by myself. So I've got to find some help. He employed 120 satraps to govern the different provinces. And then three more men he employed to be the administrators or the, or the presidents over those 120. Darius soon realized that he was still needing someone else. He realized that he, he needed someone pretty impressive um, to become his right-hand man. He needed someone he could trust. He needed someone that would work well with people. He needed someone with a flair for um, management and, and diplomacy. And he's, he's racking his brain trying to figure out who's there and who's available for this job. And he realizes he's right in front of me. I need someone that can manage the treasury, someone that can speak on my behalf, someone that can use my royal seal, there's only one guy for the job. This guy, this guy has to be Daniel. His responsibility was serving the king in such a way that the king didn't need to worry about anything. He, he had such responsibility that the king could just say, go do your job. Go do what you need to do. I don't need to worry about anything. I know the kingdom is safe in your hands. I know that I don't have to, to, to worry about trust issues. I don't have to worry about loyalty issues. I know that if I place you here, it's going to be done right. It's going to be done with excellence. This possibly included ensuring that the satraps and the other presidents were getting their work done as well. And not only getting it done, but also getting it done with excellence. Um, Daniel may have applied pressure to those under him to be fair to those living in the, uh, that they were governing. He, he uh, the subjects had to be treated fairly because they, that reflected back on the king, and Daniel knew this. And so he's telling these, these rulers and these, these governors, I need you to do this right. I need you to go and treat these people with fairness. I need you to treat these people um, the way you want to be treated. He, uh, he, he asked them to be good stewards of the money. He asked them to, to treat the, the taxes fairly, and he didn't want any behind-the-scenes the action. He didn't want any illicit dealings going on. He didn't want any treasonous arrangements. He didn't want any under-the-table arrangements. And so he was probably applying a little bit of pressure. He's been a little bit strong, and he was saying, you're going to do it my way, or you're going to do it, or you're going to go down the highway, but we're going to do this with excellence. Um, it's very possible that prior to Darius assuming the throne, 
he was already buddy-buddy with some of these guys, some of these other leaders, and they just knew he was going to pick one of them to, to be his chief of staff. But Darius, it seems, had a way of noticing men's strengths. He saw Daniel and saw something special in him and couldn't that he saw something unique, something different, something special that he couldn't find or see in any of his buddies. He saw this in Daniel. He saw Daniel's desire to finish what he started. A satrap is defined as someone that's a protector of the kingdom. But these satraps weren't, weren't, into, they weren't there to protect the kingdom. These guys weren't in it to finish strong and promote Darius they probably wanted to get as much as they could, as quickly as they could, as easily as they could, and move on. They weren't protecting the kingdom, but Daniel, as someone showing excellence in his responsibilities, was, and that made them mad. That made them angry. They're thinking, why can't this guy get off our back? Why can't this guy just look the other direction? Why does this guy always have to be following us around and asking us what we're doing and um, dissecting and managing? Why can't he just leave us alone to let us do our job? Because he knew they were going to do more than just their job. They were going to get some illicit activities going. Sorry. Verse 2 says, The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Daniel was placed in a position to keep the satraps from doing what they wanted to do, to keep the satraps from stealing from the people, stealing from the king. It was Daniel's responsibility to keep them in line. Daniel expected them to elevate their responsibilities to his level. And when you're a good leader, when you're, when you're doing things with excellence, you expect the people around you to come up to your level. You're not going to go down to them. You're going to bring them up to you. Live in a way that people around you are held to a higher standard. Be someone of influence. Be strong. If people aren't changing because of the standard you hold to, Maybe there needs to be an evaluation done. Maybe you need to think of how you're doing things. Maybe you need to sit back and look at what you've said or what you've done. Are, are the people around you comfortable with cussing? Are the people around you comfortable with lying? Are the people around you comfortable with, with telling you dirty jokes? If they are, you probably need to evaluate some things. People should come up to you, and if a word slips out of their mouth, they should say, oh, oh, um, Mandy, I am so sorry. I didn't mean to say that word in front of you. Please forgive me. And nine times out of ten, you'll say, it's, it's cool. It's totally all right. But just the fact that they know that you hold yourself to a different standard, you hold yourself to a different level, that they don't want to be like that around you. Daniel had been living his life in Babylon for several decades now. When he'd first arrived, he'd proved to Ashpenaz, um, proved himself, as, as Pastor Doug said this morning, he proved himself to Ashpenaz by eating only vegetables and drinking only water. Um, the, king, or the king had ordered his, uh, his chief, Ashpenaz, to, uh, and I'm just recapping very quickly, to have all the men there eat the, uh, the meat and the wine provided by the king. Daniel said, that's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to eat the vegetables. I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to do something that contradicts God's law. I'm not going to do something that contradicts my, my loyalty to God and my responsibility to God, my standard to God. So instead, he said, let's, let's make this deal. You let me eat this for a few days, see how it turns out, and then we'll move on from there. Obviously, um, 
He had proven himself to Ashpenaz. He knew that God had elevated him to a certain position despite likely protests by the native Babylonians around him. Um, I can just hear them whispering that he's just, this guy Daniel, he's, he shouldn't be here. He shouldn't be elevated to that position in our kingdom. He's, he's, a, he, he's someone from a, a, a country that we destroyed. He's someone that um, is just waiting for a chance to get revenge for his, his fallen country and his slain loved ones. He's just here to get back at us. He doesn't need to be here. But it didn't matter because he had a job to do and he was going to finish what he started. He wasn't going to listen to what those people were saying. He wasn't going to listen to the whispers. He wasn't going to listen to the slander. He wasn't going to listen to the back talk. He wasn't going to listen to them talking smack about him because he knew who he was and he knew that his identity was in God and that he knew as long as his identity was in God, he was going to fulfill what he started and finish what he started. Philippians 3, 4, 13 through 14 says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to let go, to finish what we start. A lot of us start things, but we fail to finish. Excellence is finishing no matter how difficult it becomes. I'm an extremely slow reader, but I'm determined to finish the book I'm currently reading. This kind of determination, the determination that says, forget what is behind you and strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal. This kind of determination is necessary for all of us who call ourselves Christ followers. Throughout our lives, there are lots of distractions. There are lots of temptations. There are lots of worries that threaten to choke out our relationship with Jesus. To avoid those things, we must never take our eyes off, off the prize of being with Jesus forever. Doing this means forgetting what is behind Forgetting the corrupt world, forgetting those who hurt you, forgetting those who slandered you, forgetting those who tried to make you fail at your responsibilities, and strain toward what is ahead, the final salvation in Jesus Christ. We can't let past failures, tough times, bad experiences frustrate or overwhelm us with guilt. And it's not just the bad we need to worry about. Um, forgetting what behind what is behind means we have to let go of the good are the bad and the good experiences, not just the bad. Um, we, got, we have to be careful not to rest on past accomplishments and successes that could make us spiritually prideful or lazy. Excellence is always striving to be better. Daniel realized this. Yes, he did see God use vegetables and water to make him look better than, the, than those eating the king's meat. Yes, he did know that his boys had been delivered from a fiery furnace, but he also knew that he couldn't rest on those things. He still had a job to do, and he had to finish it strong. He knew God expected something more from him, expected him to finish with excellence. What matters most is what is ahead in regard to Christ's purpose for us and our ultimate reward with him in heaven. The second thing is living life to a standard. Daniel showed excellence in his conduct. Verses 4 and 5. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we're never going to find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless... 
it has something to do with the law of his God. Absolutely nothing. No matter where they looked, no matter how many rocks they turned over, no matter how many caves they dug through, they were not going to find anything, anything corrupt to do with Daniel. Daniel's enemies could find no way of accusing him of wrongdoing. The only chance of condemning him would be to find a way that government policy conflicted with his loyalty to God. His standard was set. The satraps and the presidents knew who Daniel was. They worked with him on a daily basis. They knew his, his personality. They knew his convictions. They knew his standards. Um, they had heard him speak over and over and over again. They saw his actions, his mannerisms, his routine. And I'm pretty convinced that every conversation he had with those, those men, at some point while he was instructing them or facilitating work assignments, his conversation would drift to God. He would begin to talk about God. He would begin to tell about God. He would begin to instruct about God. And whether or not these guys listened, they might have stuck their fingers in their ears, but they were still hearing this, and they knew who and what Daniel was. They knew he was a man who would, who would commit to excellence in his conduct. They knew he was a man who was living life to a standard. They knew how he felt about his God. I've heard it said before, but if an attorney is ever going to convict me for being a Christian, I hope with all my heart that he doesn't have to look under rocks to find the evidence to convict me. It better be who I am. It better be an open and shut case. And as soon as they send the jury in, they come right back out, say that guy's, that guy is guilty. Send him to jail. He is definitely a Christian. If, if, that, if I wasn't convicted, then I really need to take a step back and reevaluate some things in my life. Conduct is the manner in which you behave, especially on a particular occasion or in a particular context. Paul says it this way, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Live your life in a worthy manner and stand firm in one spirit and purpose, defending the message of Jesus and guarding the message against those who are enemies of the cross. Daniel's conduct was beyond accusation. Daniel stood in the gap. Daniel refused to bow down. Daniel refused to back down. And Daniel refused to conduct himself in anything less than being worthy of God. Set a standard for your life that's non-negotiable, that you refuse to budge on, that no matter what anyone does or says, you so strongly believe in it that nothing sways you. Daniel had set that standard in such a way that the satraps couldn't find a single trace of corruption anywhere. Daniel lived a life of excellence in the shadow of a lion. Regardless of what they said they were going to do, regardless of what they threatened to do, Daniel will refuse to budge. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Our lives should stand out in a positive way from the people in the world who don't follow Christ. They should be able to see us, look at us, and see something different, something special, something unique. Um, <clears throat> We're not trying to be different, though, just for the sake of being different. Our standard should be to reflect God, Christ's character and shine his light in spiritually dark places. If we can demonstrate an uncommon and undeniable peace and purpose, 
people around us are going to take notice. If you live the light, if you talk the talk and you walk the walk, I promise people are going to look at you and they're going to say something's different. That person that you've been talking to, that person that you've been telling about God, that person that you've been trying to witness, and they just keep saying, I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. Back up, back up, back up. There's going to come a day in their life when the bottom falls out and the first person they think of and the first person they run to is you and they're going to say, hey, I know I said, I know I said I don't believe in that God, but I need that God now and I need you to pray for me. You've got to, to stand strong despite what people do, despite what people say. If we can demonstrate an uncommon and undeniable peace and purpose, people are going to take notice. The only thing his slanderers could find was his love for God. His slanderers didn't have anything to slander him about. I've been in ministry for a while, and um, one of my favorite things to hear from past students is this. I'll get, I'll get a message all the time, periodically, from, it's usually from girls, but sometimes boys will, will you know, drop the, the macho thing, but, but I get this a lot, and I'm sure Mandy does too, but I hear Brandon and Mandy are relationship goals, and they say, I love I love watching you. I want to be like you. When I get married someday, I want to have the same kind of relationship as you. And it's nothing special about us. It's just that we've been graced to be in the right place at the right time. But I really love when I hear this because I love that because they can see that we've set a standard in the way we love each other, in the way we protect each other, in the way we talk about each other, in the way we interact with our children, the way we love our children. I want people to look at me and see that there is something unique and different. David or excuse me, Daniel lived in such a way that even the threat of being devoured by a lion wasn't going to change his standard of living. The threat of being in the shadow of a lion wouldn't change his conduct. Daniel had set a standard in the small things and was now able to stand in the face of giant things. General Colin Powell said this, if you're going to achieve excellence in big things, you develop the habit in little matters. Excellence is not an exception. It is a prevailing attitude. A standard of excellence is noticing the small things, needing changed, and actually doing something about it instead of walking on by. Start by taking the, the cart to the cart corral, people. We don't need to leave the cart sitting out in the middle of the parking lot. As an example of Christ, you need to do the small things. Take the cart to the cart corral. If you pick up a frozen item, or even if it's not a frozen item, and you get to the front and you realize, I don't really need this, don't just set it on an end cap. Take it back to where you picked it up at, people. If you're texting someone, please type out Y-O-U. It's so, it doesn't take much longer to type Y-O-U than to just hit you. Come on, people. It's the little things that make a difference in life. I promise you that. Little things. I just lost my place. Give me a second. I realized a few years ago that I was telling a lot of people, and I was actually pointing my finger and, and kind of chastising. I was telling a lot of people, y'all need to be reading your Bibles. Y'all need to be getting in the Word of the God every day. Y'all need to be studying. But wasn't really reading mine as often as I should have been. Practice what you preach, Brandon. But I justified it by saying, 
oh, I know the Bible pretty well. I've been to seminary, you know. I'm going to be studying this week to preach a sermon anyway, so that, that'll count as my devotional reading. Not true. Not true at all. I have to set a standard for myself if I expect the people around me to set a standard. Even if no one else knows it except my wife. So, two years ago, I decided I would start getting out of bed. My alarm goes off at 4.45 every morning. I don't always get up at 4.45, but my alarm goes off. But after snoozing a few times, I get up, I take out my phone, I go to the bathroom, and I pull out my Bible app. And um, as of this morning, it said 378 days in a row. So I've, I've changed my, um, my standard for myself. I began, began reading like I should. And this isn't about me reading the Bible. It's about me doing the small things so that God can entrust me in the big things. I've set a standard for myself. I, um, I then, after I read my Bible, I get dressed and I head off to the gym. Um, I know I don't look like the gym, like I go to the gym. I don't look like Pastor Jeremy. I don't look like um, David over here. I don't look like Doug. Um, I do kind of look like Pastor Sean, but um, I know I don't look like the gym, but I promise I go every morning. But I read a lot of articles, and I read an article a week ago. It was called Seven Habits Fit Guys Should Do Every Day. And so I thought, okay, this sounds kind of, kind of interesting. I want to check this out. The first thing was eat protein. Okay, that, that makes sense. The second was take supplements. Makes sense. The third was plan and prepare meals. Makes sense. Four was drink lots of water. Okay. Five, make movement a priority in your life. Six, get plenty of sleep. And so I'm thinking, okay, seven. The seventh thing, the seventh thing a fit guy should do every day. It's probably either run, um, do some kind of cardio, hit the weights. And when I read it, I thought, wow, this is so, so crazy. I'm thinking it's lifting or running, but no. The seventh thing a fit guy does every day is make their bed. Military personnel do this. Um, do this. Highly disciplined people know that starting their day off with good habits will lead to long-term success, and you feel like you've already accomplished something. The small things are what make the biggest differences. Number three, excellence is doing what you say you'll do. Daniel showed excellence in his integrity. I'm going to read verse 4 and then 7 through 10. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Verse 7. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. It would have been so easy 
to have altered his normal routine, but he didn't. He wasn't going to lie. He wasn't going to even discreetly deceive. You know what I'm talking about? We just kind of like squeeze in a little untruth there to just kind of make it a little prettier. He wasn't going to do any of that. He was going to continue doing what he'd always done. He was going to continue doing what he said he'd do from the beginning. I've always wondered um, in reading this passage, in reading Daniel 6, how did he find out about the decree? How did, he, how did, how did they tell him about the decree? What, what in the world um, uh, happened, you know? And we just kind of wonder about this. I don't know how Daniel found out about the decree, but I've got some, some ideas, and I'll, I'll give you a couple of those. Um, maybe, was he possibly invited to a banquet to officially announce that all the, to all the leadership what the next 30 days was going to consist of? If so, can you imagine as he's walking out of that banquet, the sneers, the smirks, and the smiles, the laughs um, that he was receiving as he walked out, the, the satraps just kind of smirking at him, just kind of sneering at him, just looking at him thinking, <laughs> we've got you now, buddy. We've got you now. Um, I really kind of doubt that's what happened. Uh, had he been there in the, in the uh, announcement, the king would have probably thought, oh, no, I can't say this. Daniel's sitting right over there. What was I thinking? So maybe, um, more likely, I wonder if he had temporarily left the region to manage or to give insight on an issue occurring on the other side of the kingdom. Um, this possibly gave opportunity to the presidents and the satraps to conspire to the king their plan. So maybe they waited for him to, to step out of office for a few minutes and they went running to the king and they said, King, check this out. We have the best idea in the world. We love you so much. You are so great. You are so amazing that we think that for the next 30 days, everyone should just pray to you. What do you think about that, king? And of course, don't you know that when you're not living in integrity, one of the things you try to do is you try to stroke the ego of the people around you. You try to tell them good things about themselves that will eventually lift you up personally. Maybe that's what he did. I don't know. Maybe he uh, read it on a video screen as he was walking through Times Square Babylon, um, saw it on a skyscraper. Maybe his, uh, his iPhone went off and he saw it on a, on a notification as it was buzzing, buzzing, buzzing and his phone was just blowing up because all these people were saying, hey, 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 did you hear about this? Um, maybe some of the satraps just walked up to him and said, guess what? You belong to us now. We got you now. We've been waiting for this for a long time, Daniel. We got you now. However he found out, it doesn't matter. I can't imagine what immediately went through his head. Maybe he was worried. Maybe he was scared. Maybe he already knew he'd been set up and the death penalty was imminent. He had no idea that God would close the mouths of the lions. And I, I want you to hear that for a second. He didn't have any idea that God would close the mouths of the lions. He didn't know that God would close the mouths of the lions. He had hoped and he believed and he had faith that the mouths would be closed, but that didn't mean the mouths would be closed. Yes, he'd seen his buddies brought out of the furnace, but that didn't mean he was going to be delivered. He had faith, but he had no actual knowledge that he was going to be rescued. 
having that knowledge would have taken away the faith element and altered the entire meaning of the story. There would have been no depth or sacrifice in his desire to keep worshiping God. If he would have known that the lion's mouths were going to be closed, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. He would have just said, yeah, it doesn't really matter. What, what made this story a story of faith is the fact that he knew that I might die tomorrow, but that's not going to change the way I live my life. That's not going to change the integrity I walk in. That's not going to change that once I say something, I'm going to follow through on it. He knew that despite what happens, he was going to live strong for God. If we knew what was going to happen tomorrow, then faith wouldn't matter anymore. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. We don't know what's going to happen, but we can know that we serve a God that knows what's going to happen, and he's going to take care of his church. We don't know the strength of our conviction until we're forced to make a sacrifice. We don't know the strength of our conviction until we're forced to make a sacrifice. That was the point where Daniel had to decide if he was going to do what he said he was going to do. He decided it doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they do. I've got to do this because this is what I've always done. I believe what I believe, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. What did Daniel do next? Did he pull out his phone, blast all his enemies on Facebook, went down a list telling them why they were wrong and why he was right, and that they're all going to do this and do that? No. He went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem, three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. Remember this, church. The decree said, if you pray to any man or any god besides the king for the next 30 days, you will be thrown in the lion's den. Daniel finds out about this decree. He goes home. He goes upstairs. He goes to the windows that face Jerusalem. He gets down on his knees, and he prays three times daily, giving thanks to God. How often do we say, well, I don't have anything to give thanks for. My life stinks. My life's tough. My life's horrible. Why would I be giving thanks to God? When people ask that kind of question, I'm just like, what in the world are you thinking? Are you, are you, are you really a Christian? If you're, you're really a Christian, how can you ask that Ask that kind of question. You give thanks to God regardless of what you're going through because he sent his son down to die on a cross for you, to give you life, to give you forgiveness, to give you hope, to give you peace, and to give you life everlasting. If for no other reason than that, that's reason to serve God. That's reason to praise God. That's reason to give thanks to God. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God. Last thing tonight. If you say you believe in God, live like it. Daniel showed excellence in his faith. Verses 15 through 17. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can ever be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Although Daniel had been a refugee, had been a victim of war, his faith in God had never faltered, and he never adopted an attitude of a victim. It would be so easy to say, 
what in the world, God? I've served you. I've, I've gotten ripped out of my family's home. I've gotten ripped out of my country. I have done everything for you. I've lived for you despite everything I've had to go through. I watched my friends in a furnace. What in the world are you thinking? Why am I going through this? You took me away from my family, and this is how it ends? What's up with that? He didn't do that. Instead, I believe that he grabbed a hold of the last words he heard his king say, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue, and went down into the pit, not knowing what would happen, but believing his God would answer the cry. Where's your faith? Are you believing that God can give you the strength to overcome what you're dealing with? Are you believing that despite an angel breathing down your neck, or excuse me, a lion breathing down your neck, despite resting in the shadow of a lion, are you believing that God can overcome those things? Are you believing that God can pull you out of those things? We know the rest of the story. And in fact, in Hebrews 11, verse 33, the faith chapter, it says, by faith we shut the mouths. Who shut the mouths of the lions? God shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel believed that God would show up, and he did. It isn't easy to show excellent faith in the shadow of a lion, but Daniel did exactly that. Tonight, Sean, if you would go ahead and come back to your guitar. And just close your eyes for a minute, church. Tonight, if, uh, if you haven't been showing excellence in your responsibilities or your conduct or your integrity or your faith, then make that commitment right. If you haven't done these things with excellence, then, then take a step out and just say, you know what, God? Maybe I need to work a little harder. Maybe I need to do a little more. And just uh, take that step to be committed to excellence in everything you do. And tonight, if you're here and you're struggling and you've been in the shadow of a lion not knowing what the next minute will bring, know that God is with you and know that he's there to hold you, know that he's there to protect you, know that he's there to love you and carry you through. And tonight, if you're, first off, if you, if you just want to commit to excellence in life, just in the things you do on a daily basis, then I, I encourage you just to stand up and begin worshiping God as he begins singing. But if you're here tonight and um, you've struggled with being in the shadow of the lion, and you've been scared, and you've been overcome, and you've been worried, and, and you haven't known what you were going to do next, and you haven't known how to take that next step, then I just encourage you to come up here, and the care team is going to come forward, and just, we're just going to pray over you. We're going to place our hands on you and just um, ask God just to empower you with strength, with um, conviction, with boldness, with the right kind of conduct.